on Wednesday night, so I thought I would finish up here on chapter 2. So uh, if you missed the last couple teachings, I encourage you to pick up uh, either a CD or you can listen on the web uh, via the website or through other podcasts. But um, James has been going through uh, Second Thessalonians, and uh, there's a lot of eschatology there, study of end times, and um, we're going to finish up here with chapter 2 with that. So bear with me as I bring my notes. And uh, before I begin, let's pray one more time, please. Lord, just as we study your word tonight, uh, just pray for your Holy Spirit to provide wisdom, not only to me, but to the body here listening, Lord. Uh, May we listen intently to your word, God. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd bless it. Amen. All right, so finishing up on 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 here, verses 13 through 17. And uh, in doing this here, you know, good portion of this chapter talks about the day of judgment, the day of the Lord returning. And uh, the church at Thessalonica here, they were concerned, uh, they were worried because they thought the day of the Lord had come and they're still here, right? So James has been going through the rapture and those details with the timeline and everything about that. So Paul here concludes this this letter here. Obviously, he didn't write it in first chapter, but the letter to the church here, uh, the way we have it here, verse 13, I'm going to read here. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in doing this, preparing for tonight, uh, these two verses here, 13 and 14, Paul is giving comfort here to the church. How does he give them comfort? By reminding them that God has saved them. Uh, verse 13, once again, uh, I want to highlight some key words here. Uh, Bound to give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. They're beloved by the Lord, the church is, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So, as I said, Paul provides comfort to the church here at Thessalonica, and they, they needed comfort because, like I said, uh, they thought the day of the Lord had arrived, meaning that they were going to go through this judgment. So how does Paul comfort them, as I stated earlier, by reminding them of their salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ? So verse 13 and 14, if I were to summarize here you know, shortly, and then just matter-of-factly, is God is the one who saves uh, he reminds the church that here at Thessalonica, they didn't do anything for their salvation in regards to works. They didn't have to work for it. God worked on their behalf uh, to save them. And just another verse to um, provide some background on that, Ephesians uh, chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and that says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, that it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So because of what God has done, they have security. Just like us as believers, because of what God has done, we have security in Him. And was wrestling with these two verses here in 13 and 14, right? Because it says, Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification, by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And I'll go on to read here 14. But in that verse 13, we have, we have some uh, fundamentals of the faith, doctrines of the faith here. We have election, because it says God chooses them. We have sanctification. God sets them apart from sin through the Holy Spirit. We have justification. Uh, they believed in the truth. And then 
uh, glorification talking about in verse 14. So there's this tension here, what we like to call, uh, as one uh, pastor called it, mysterious tension here. Because we have election, God's work on one hand, and then we have the church at Thessalonica, their responsibility in it, uh, believing in the truth. Just like us today, you know, God is the one who saves, but we have a responsibility in believing in the truth or rejecting it. So Paul reminds them of these truths here. God didn't appoint them to wrath, but to salvation and also to glory. Verse 14, to which he called you by our gospel for the attaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul just gives them the rundown shortly, summarizing to provide them comfort. Remember God who saved us. Remember God, he's appointed us for his glory not for judgment. So he's comforting them in these two uh, statements here, verses 13 and 14. So any questions on that before I move on? Nope. Okay. So here we have Paul providing comfort to the here at church. And then what I would like to point out here is what I want to apply here for us tonight is uh, verse 15 and also 16. Kind of like the exhortation here. Verse 15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. So as I say, the church at Thessalonica comes to, the, comes to the belief that they miss the rapture, the day the Lord has come, and they're going to go through the judgment. Paul reminds them, he comforts them, that's not true. But then he exhorts them, and it's an exhortation for us. He encourages them. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught. So... What, what is he saying here? Basically, the only effective means by which to confront error is to stand firm and to hold to the truth. This is why it's important for us to know what we believe and why we believe it. Um, traditions. It's a body of truth handed down. How is it handed down? Obviously, we have the first letter to the church there at Thessalonica. We have Paul's teachings uh, to them there. And then we have the second letter because he has to reassure them because they had missed some of the things he talked about in the first letter, right? Happens to us today. We get in situations, uh, stressful situations. We forget our security in the Lord. We need to be reminded. Paul's reminding them here in this letter. So we as a contemporary church today have the same thing. We have the word of God. And we need to stand firm and hold to the truth as well. Uh, a couple of verses I want to look at to uh, emphasize this here, to holding fast to the, to the word of truth. Uh, Jude chapter 3, Jude verse 3, not chapter 3. Jude verse 3, and that says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Second uh, Peter one nineteen. And that says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Key part there. We have the prophetic word confirmed, which you would do, do well to heed. Basically, to pay attention to the, to the word of God. And then also I want to reference here John fifteen fourteen. This is the words of the Lord Jesus. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So we have these three verses here written to the church. Contend for the faith. Pay attention to the word of truth. And if you love me, you will do what I command. The words of Jesus there. And also, as pastors, as teachers, as leaders in the church, what's the word for us? 
same thing. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. I'll start in here in verse 1. It says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, heeding to God's word of truth. Paid attention to it, contending for it. Why? Just look at what we face at, as today as a church. What do we face today? We face false teaching. Church of Thessalonica faced that as well. They thought the day of judgment had come. We face false teaching today. Uh, false teaching today, I was thinking about this. Uh, it wasn't long ago. I think it was uh, maybe about four years ago, 2011. We had uh, uh, with uh, a pastor by the name of Harold Camping, if you recall. He predicted the end of the world, uh, judgment day coming. And that day came and passed. We had to redo another prediction. And obviously he was wrong with that. So we face false teaching today. The other key things I want to talk about, while it's important for us to stand fast and hold to the faith, the word of faith. Key current events, topics today, I would say, would be same-sex marriage unions. And then obviously abortion uh, with the videos that have come out with Planned Parenthood. So I'm going to distinctly focus on the same-sex marriage thing uh, this evening. So... Same-sex marriage unions. Obviously, we know the Supreme Court passed that to allow it in 50 states, made it legal. But how do we as Christians handle this? How do we as Christians handle this when we're asked about what we believe? It's because we know businesses, uh, people are enduring persecution because of their personal beliefs, beliefs based on the Word of God. So how can we, how can we handle or share what we believe boldly, shrewdly? Boldly and shrewdly. Not angrily, not rudely but to engage the other side in a conversation to express our faith, what we believe. So this is from a ministry called Stand to Reason. Uh, ministry's lead, one of the main leaders there at Stand to Reason is Greg Coco, And this is uh, from one of his uh, articles here. Disagree with the Christian on this and you disagree with Christ. That's why this should be your first line of response when answering this query about this question I talked about. It says, A while back, I stumbled upon what I think is a clever way of dealing with certain types of challenges that I face as a follower of Christ. I thought I'd pass it on to you, hoping you find it useful too. For example, I used it recently with the culturally tricky issue of same-sex marriage. I received a note from a dad whose daughter was in a competition where she knew she'd be asked her view on this issue, an obvious attempt to disqualify anyone who doesn't toe politically correct line of homosexuality. He wanted my opinion on the safest way to answer the question, what do you think about same-sex marriage, and still be faithful to Jesus? Since Jesus said we should be innocent but shrewd, I worked out a response I think satisfies both requirements. He answered, since I am a follower of Christ, my view on marriage is the same as Jesus' view, one he made clear in Matthew 19, one man with one woman becoming one flesh for one lifetime. So on the definition, so on the definition of marriage, I stand with Jesus. And he goes on to say, you get the point, disagree with the Christian on this, and you disagree with Christ. That's why this should be your first line of response when answering this query. Since Jesus still has credibility with most people, this puts the opposition in a bind. So here's the general principle. Pit the challenger against Jesus whenever you can. And he goes on to state here, um, that was my approach when I faced off with New Age Guru uh, Deepak Chopra a few years ago for my national TV debate on a show called uh, Faith Under Fire. I knew it would be a mistake to match my credibility with his. He was world famous, and I was just a local boy from L.A. There was something else, someone else on my side, though, who had a lot more firepower than either of us, Jesus of Nazareth. 
If I could position my debate as him versus Jesus, I knew I would fare much better in the eyes of the viewing public. Once again, I put this basic principle into play. Pit the challenger against Jesus. Step aside whenever you can and let Jesus shoulder the responsibility, so to speak, for his own claims. It really helps balance the scales. This move is especially important when dealing with the most offensive detail of our message. And what is that? That's basically the central claim of the gospel, that Jesus is a savior for the world, the only one capable of rescuing us from judgment and restoring us to relationship with the Father. The necessity of Jesus for salvation was one of the specific issues I had addressed to Dr. Chopra. He tried to make me look narrow-minded and bigoted, but I simply kept taking him back to Jesus, a religious leader he already said he admired. It's no accident that the most important part of our message is also the most offensive. That's why it's vital we let Jesus carry the load here when we can. His view is crystal clear for anyone willing to take notice, and it's the same message repeated by every biblical writer that Jesus personally trained to carry his message after him. I couldn't express it any clearer than that. If we, that's stating it boldly, truly, not angrily, not rudely. Um, like I said, it's a big issue in our current events today, and uh, I know that I've been sharing it with my Sunday school class uh, as we've been going through Romans 13 in the government, and, you know, we talked about with obviously the Supreme Court being a facet of the government and what they passed with the same-sex union. And I told them, as Christians today, if we're asked what we believe, we may be persecuted because we'll be viewed as bigoted. We'll be viewed as prejudiced. But if we, say, if we state that I agree with the view of Jesus on what he had for marriage, one man, one woman, how can they disagree? I don't think they could disagree with us by saying we were rude, by saying we were prejudiced or bigoted, I guess is what I was trying to say there. So... That's why it's important to know what we believe and why we believe. And that's why Paul is also stating here to the church at Thessalonica, hold fast. Hold fast to the truth. Because when the Supreme Court did this, I was reading up on current events. There's churches that have kind of swayed. They yielded position. They'll, they'll accept uh, homosexual unions in marriage uh, in, their, in their churches. And that's why it's important for us to continue to hold fast and know why we believe what we believe. And how do we do that? By coming together together corporately, personally, studying our Bible, reading the Word of God, engaging the text with others and with ourselves and with the Lord himself. So, any questions on that before I finish up here? Ryan. Correct. Right. Right. Uh, Ryan was just saying here that just because man made, I guess, passed these into law does not make it good. And that's a key, key good point there, Ryan. I've, I've shared that with my class. Um, as Christians, we're to obey the government, but when it goes against God's word, when it goes against his commands... Uh, as I think as Peter said in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. And uh, if you look at Acts 5 there, I believe they were put in prison for sharing the gospel. There, uh, an angel had released them. They went back sharing the gospel as directed. And the Sanhedrin was questioning them, why are you doing this? And they said, we must obey God rather than men. So that's a key point there, Ryan. So any other questions? Uh, that's in Matthew, uh, Matthew, book of Matthew, 
And that was in chapter, I want to say, eight, Matthew 19. I'll read that to you here real quick. And this is when um, they were questioning Jesus here about divorce, marriage and divorce. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and healed him there. The Pharisees, verse 3, also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So basically verses 4 and 5 there of Matthew 19. So those are the words of Jesus. What was the answer to the question? I will go on. It's in the word. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So, um, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery too. So... Obviously, he's talking about the hardness of our hearts as humans, and they allowed for, you know, divorce under sexual morality, under those means. But other than that, outside of sexual morality and probably other means such as abuse, to stay married. So, does this church recognize uh, homosexuals to come to this church? Yes. Yes, okay, so... Uh, would we welcome homosexuals in the sort of church? I would say yes, we would. Now, I had this conversation with my wife. I would say we would. Now, because we would want them to hear the gospel, we want them to come and hear the word of God. So, yes. So, so do we feel the same about uh, divorced people as we do as homosexuals who are married? In this church. In this church. Okay, hold, hold on. One okay. second, Rose. Okay. Okay. But divorced people are committing adultery if they don't divorce because of sexual morality. I, I think... I'm not... <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? So we're accepting divorced people who have been divorced without... The, with the, that have been divorced without sexual issues, but we're not letting homosexual people in here who are married, which are Wait, what, what do you mean by that? If I'm not saying we wouldn't... If they are if they are married by the state, I would think our church would still want. To, I don't think we would ban them from coming to listen to the gospel of, of Jesus. Would those people be treated as the same as? We should treat them. We should treat them the same. Would so, they be, no, as, a, as a as a congregation here. Okay. Would we, would can, we let, treat them? What is your name again, ma'am? Cindy. Cindy. So okay. So I knew actually I didn't think this topic. Okay, please, Cindy. Right, he loves all. Cindy. No, no, no. Guys, I I like to answer on this. She's asking me, so let me answer, please. Cindy, I actually I thought the, the, the my teaching on election would be more controversial than that on homosexuality, but I'll answer this question. So, uh, on homosexuality, what I would encourage—that's why I shared what I shared here. We agree with what Jesus said about marriage. Well, do we welcome people? I, I believe we probably had couples that have lived together uh, that had come to our church. We have welcomed them. I believe we have divorced people, uh, and we have welcomed them. And I believe we would also welcome homosexuals. 
Now, that's why I say we want to state, we want to preach the word of God boldly, truly, not offensively, not rudely. There are still people. So this is a very controversial topic today. So uh, about a year and a half ago, I read a book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. I don't know if you read that. If you, if you haven't, please read that. The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. It's by Roche- Rosario Champagne Butterfield. Uh, she was a professor at the University of Syracuse, and she was a lesbian. She had um, a partner, and uh, what happened was she eventually got saved. And she got saved by meeting with a pastor and his wife, coming to his uh, church several times, and over time, the gospel, God saved her. And she goes on in that book at length of how the church has made mistakes in um, treating this topic, treating homosexuals, those that are homosexuals. And she goes on uh, to share her life story in that. And I think it's an awesome book to read, to know how we should treat homosexuals, how to present the gospel, and still be loving towards them. So, um, yes, question. Right. Amy. Marcus. I think the best way to sum it up, short, succinct, is love the sinner, not the sin. And the real root of the problem, Mark, what you have to deal with, is how how unrepentant 
Yeah. Really pray about. Um, when I read here from uh, uh, that book I'm mentioning here, uh, Cindy here, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert here. Uh, let's see here. Too often the church does not know how to interface with university culture because it comes to the table only ready to moralize in that dialogue. Uh, there's a core difference between sharing the gospel with the laws and imposing a specific moral standard on the, unconver- on the unconverted. So uh, I recommend that book because I thought uh, it was written from, a, like I said, a lady who was a lesbian who had a partner, and uh, she gets saved through the hospitality of a pastor and his wife. And there's a lot of key things for us to take there um, uh, as Christians uh, to share the gospel with homosexuals. Not only homosexuals, but... Uh, you know, people of other beliefs, uh, people of other beliefs as well, and also people that would, uh, you know, like I said, the other topic being abortion. Uh, you know, people that support Planned Parenthood and what they do. So, a lot of difficult things, right? But that's why that's why Paul wrote to the church here, and it's for us as well. We must hold to the truth. We must stand, stand fast, and hold on to these traditions. Otherwise, if we don't, that's where problems arise. That's where problems arise, and. W- God is faithful. He will be with us because there will be dark times through that when we do that. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. Um, So, Cindy, if you have any other questions, I'd be glad to talk to you further about it. And I hope I did answer your question. We would welcome, uh, you know, homosexuals in our church to hear the gospel of the Lord. So, any other questions before I move on? Any other questions before I move on? Is there a question? Okay, question. Uh, the secret thoughts of, of an unlikely convert. So, Rosaria Butterfield. So, question. Okay. Yeah, so uh, I'll read it here, First Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says the unrighteous. And they do not be deceived, neither fornicators, those that are committed adultery, nor idolaters, those that you know practice idolatry, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So that's what the verse Amy. That's why, yeah, that's, it's, it's, they don't know how to express that in a bold way, in a lovingly way, with handling the truth. Well, that's why, that's why I read what I read. You know, that's a good example, I believe, what Jesus said on marriage. Um, how do you do this? Read, read your Bible. 
that's why I've been doing it with my class. I have uh, 10, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, and we've been talking about this. How do, how do we do this? We, we be faithful. We're to be faithful to the Lord. Uh, we're supposed to engage the text of the Bible. We're supposed to read it. We're supposed to know it. Otherwise, like I said, when people don't do that as, as Christians, like the Thessalonians, Thess- the church here at Thessalonica, they forgot what Paul said in the first letter, right? So what happens? They think the day of the Lord has come. So when error is introduced in the church, when false teaching is introduced in the church, bad things happen. So bad things happen. So how do we do that? More teaching. Read the Word of God. Romans chapter 1 is a very good chapter. Romans chapter 1 is a very good chapter, yes. Um, The other thing, though, is too, uh, like I said, Amy, uh, like on this topic, I would definitely recommend the book I just referenced. Uh, It's very good. found it to be very helpful because, like I said, not this church, but as a church, probably corporately, we have made mistakes. We have come across as, as rude, as bigoted. And it may still happen when we say, when we, when we share the truth of love. It may still happen that we express that, but at least we know we did all that we could to share it in love. So, Butterfield. Yep. Secret thoughts of unlikely converts. So. All right, so any other questions? Uh, Kathy. Yes. I Great points there, Kathy. And the other thing I would say, Amy, too, is we talk about it. You know, we, I came across it as the Word of God. I felt compelled to share this uh, tonight, standing fast, holding to the, to the truths, to the traditions. We talk about it. We don't ignore it. We don't run away from it because we're going to face it. We're going to face it. So, But when we do, um, you know, we share that verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. I have three kids, all under seven. Um, my two-year-old, right, uh, we have a yard street right across I tell him, don't go across the street. Don't go across the street because he doesn't know to look for cars on both sides. So same thing. If it's a homosexual, if it's someone that I meet that maybe it's a couple living together, I'm going to share with them the word of God. Why? Because I care for them. I love them. So we must do that. We must do that. If I don't say anything, I'm not loving If I don't say anything to my son to not cross the road, I'm not really loving him. Anything else before I finish up on this chapter? No? Okay, so uh, let's see here. Verse uh, 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So here Paul closes out uh, with prayer, encouraging them in the security of Christ and also for their service uh, to the Lord Jesus as well. So i read it one more time. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. We have security in him. 
Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Tell them to pray for the, their service to be unto the Lord and that it would be good and it would be a good work. So um, I know James is going to cover chapter 3 uh, next week, but I just wanted to touch upon uh, the first two verses here. Uh, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may, be run, may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. The reason I want to share this tonight is obviously I want to ask you, pray for your pastors. What's Paul asking? Paul prayed for the church at Thessalonica there, prays for their encouragement, prays for their service to the Lord. What does Paul do in the next chapter here, in his letter that he wrote to them? Pray for me. Pray for Pastor James. Pray for Rich, that we may boldly teach the truth in love. and Because obviously it is a big, big responsibility uh, as overseer of the church. So. Uh, with that, I'll ask for any other questions. Nope. If not, let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, we come before you, and uh, Lord, uh, your word is sharp as a sword, Lord, t- double-edged sword. And uh, tonight, um, I think we felt that, God. Lord, I pray through your Holy Spirit you give us understanding with your word. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would understand that um, what your word is saying, Lord, and that you love but you also judge, Lord. And because of this, Lord, we are to preach the gospel, one of a holy love, but one also of holy judgment too, Lord. And uh, we just come before you and pray as your church here, Lord, and church as in the whole world, Lord, that we would be filled with your spirit, Lord, that we'd handle your word correctly, that we would teach the truth and also share it in love. Amen. All right. Uh We'll do prayer here as we usually do on Wednesday nights. And like I said, if you have any questions about topics we talked about, uh, I'd be uh, glad to talk about it some more.